0: I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a doctoral student in psychology, and with me today is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of English and philosophy. Something that we as a society seem to struggle to say these days is, I don't know. We live in a world where people like to believe they're right, and they usually want you to know it as well. Here on the show, we've been accused of swinging too far in the other direction, since we don't know might as well be our catchphrase. Today we're going to talk about the ultimate position of not knowing. Agnosticism. Have we been accused of this? <laughs> yeah. We've had a couple of people. Well, they don't really You never answer anything. Well no. <laughs> we did do the disclaimer. You know. <laughs> I mean it's in the name of the show. We we talk about it's from nowhere to nothing. We're not we're not here trying to solve all the problems. Um so where does the philosophical story of agnosticism well let's say well what is agnosticism agnosticism is not knowing
1: <laughs> it's 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 literally what the word what the word means and and it can be traced back conceptually to the earliest philosophy of the philosophical discussions but it actually was was coined as a formal term by uh, T. H. Huxley, who was a major figure in much culture, Western culture in uh, the 19th century, and and he was a supporter of Darwinism, so on and so forth. But but the idea that uh, because in in the sciencey time of the 19th century, <laughs> when people were essentially saying, we got to move beyond all of this religion stuff. Uh, it was important to find ground for uh, him uh, and, and many, many people to, to try to have that open space where you can say, I, I don't know. Basically, agnosticism, while it's applied to generally, I don't know, or not knowing, it's most often applied in, in religious connotations or circumstances. So, it basically means uh, there's no evidence that God exists, but you can't prove that God or gods don't exist. And so, it's better to just leave it alone and get on with your conversations in your life with things that you can tangibly prove or disprove. Hmm.
0: Okay. Yeah, you said something interesting in, in there, and I'm curious about it. So, agnosticism is usually used in regard to religion. Um, is that its only use, or do people can you use it in other? Oh, it is used in you can other to circumstances.
1: Yes. If, if you say, uh, in some academic circles, particularly if you say I'm agnostic, it's just you're saying I, I, I'm agnostic about this. It means I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I yeah, I think that's a really important part of I think so, academic discussion that <laughs> in, in the open in, in, in general street terms probably most people don't a lot of people wouldn't even know probably what the term means anymore but uh, if they do that's usually the the hot button of the theological topic and
0: so yeah and that's interesting because you know i mean i'm halfway through a doctoral program and i haven't heard the word agnostic used in a scholarly setting. in so in all the research articles that I've read, I've never encountered the word. Hmm. Um, and that reminds me of an interesting aspect of the the course that I just finished. Um, they made a point where they said, uh, you know, really, data on its own doesn't tell you a story. Hmm. They said it's the, the theory that underlies the The perspective is what tells the story so they said it's very easy for um, you know a, a study to be a study to be performed and even if it's a randomized control trial you know the gold standard of of experimentation that, that is supposed to get at the root of causality of something um, two scientists who have different theoretical bases can look at the same data and interpret it in different ways and come to different conclusions mm-hmm. And I think that that's what you see happen a lot in academia is, um, that very thing rather than, rather than scientists speaking candidly, like the author of my textbook did and saying, okay, well, you know, data is great. Data is, you know, it, it data is the facts, but how you interpret the facts can determine what, what is actually being said. (laughs) Um, And of course, you know, there's he highlights stories of bad scientists who do go beyond that and actually are trying to tell a story that's not there, right? (laughs) Because scientists are also humans that either make mistakes or have agendas. Um, So there's an important weeding process going on there. But I think that in terms of the discussion of agnosticism, um, I would like to see that word used a lot more in the academic literature. (laughs) Science saying, okay, well you know, okay, maybe here's what we think it's saying, but we don't know. Some more of the we don't know, but I I think there might be a hang-up there with some of these people that reach such a level in a field that they, they have a hard time at now. That's, that's probably part of it. I
1: mean, Huxley came to it finally because he was, well, in in, in England, there's a thing called the metaphysical society. I mean, I, I think people belong to it around the planet, but uh, that's where it was founded. And and he was he joined, and he was encountering colleagues who were, and there are there are articles about this that that, that talk about uh, 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 they were advocating things like theism and m- metaphysics and materialism and pantheism, and all these yeah, idealism, and and uh, and he's he said he coined the word to suggest that there could be a position antithetical to those who quote. Professed to know so much about the very things of which I was ignorant,
0: mm. so is carving himself a space to yep. say, "I don't know." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's awesome because, yeah, that the the time that he coined that term and was was very interesting, highlighted by the conference where he, you know, proposed it, which is like the metaphysical society or something like that. Right, How cool would right. it be if we had well, a metaphysical society? Well, well I,
1: and it exists. I, I, I don't know if you have to be tapped to be invited or whatever. We can form our own. But, but, but also there uh, there are writers who uh, philosophers who point out in writing about this that the difference between agnosticism and theism, for instance, is that agnosticism is not an ideology, it's a method. Mm. Because not knowing implies the possibility of making attempts to know uh, phenomenologically. It doesn't require you to, but it also is a method because you are then, you're not just planting a flag. You're saying, hmm, okay, so if I were to try to know, how would
0: I try to know? And if, and if I were to try to know, um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's, everything you just said is going to be really important to the whole discussion today. Um, and it leads me into the next question, which is, is there a consensus on what agnosticism is, or are there different flavors of it?
1: There are different flavors of it, and and... Uh, there's a. I, I think even when you were one of my students back when, did I have you reading somebody named A.C. Grayling? Um, I don't know if I got that book in any of my classes. Probably not there yet. I, I, because I, I learned of a, a major f- modern philosopher named um, A.C. Grayling, a British philosopher. Learned much from him, and and. He, he uh, put out a book that was for lay people, for people wanting to learn about basic kinds of things, and, and he, so many books. But this was called Ideas That Matter. And once I found that book, I was <laughs> many students over many, many years having them, them read it. And he does a two page definitional essay about many, many things, sometimes two or three pages. And agnosticism is one of those. And, and Grayling holds essentially that. He doesn't say Huxley was a wimp, but <laughs> but he's saying uh, agnosticism, from his viewpoint, is just giving into a sort of mushiness when you really should just be atheistic mm. and, and get on with it. Uh, because to say for for Grayling, it, uh, and, and I like the case that he makes too, but t- to say that well, I can't prove this, I can't disprove this, it, it leaves an opening for the possibility, and for uh, folks like Grayling, the possibility doesn't exist, that that God exists. Um, and he has all kinds of interesting arguments for that. But But he says yeah, agnosticism leads to the kind of thing where we have the tooth fairy and and santa claus and the easter bunny and god and and just puts them all together as these these constructs that we make to make ourselves feel better but of course we know we're making the construct so there, there's that flavor that that arch flavor yes mm. um,
0: yeah yeah so it, when i was doing the research um it sounds like they basically split it into two camps hard agnosticism and soft agnosticism oh there's a third one theistic agnosticism which
1: which is to say well since I don't know if God exists or doesn't exist that allows me to practice a kind of theism where I I'll, I'll, I'll be involved with the religion at a distance or in some in some way uh, because after all it's going to do no harm and that that sort of Arises out of the 1600s uh, with uh, scientist Blaise Pascal, mm-hmm. uh, with passing called Pascal's Wager, which I think we've talked about it in passing at some time. Earlier, yeah, which is essentially if if you if it's possible, even a skinchy little possibility that God exists. Uh, and most of the evidence that there's no evidence to say that God exists. Well, um, it might you know if you if you go ahead and, and say, well, I'll believe in God and I'll I'll do this because you're, there's a reward at the end of all of it. You'd be better off doing that than if if God doesn't exist. Well, you're not going to miss it anyway when you die. So <laughs> right, right. So that's that kind of flavor of agnosticism.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, theistic agnosticism is Pascal's wager hard agnosticism is is the position you were just describing grayling, yeah. um ac grayling um i think richard dawkins i saw when i was looking through daniel dennett ones. yeah yeah some of these guys that are probably in the um tradition uh, you know they're sort of the um you know huxley is sort of their their um what's the word i'm looking for they uh, influence throughout, mm-hmm. you know, they're approaching from a scientific position. And then, so that's this idea that, um, you know, basically you can never know in full stop. Soft agnosticism is that position that we don't know if God exists, but maybe in the future there will be some way. Maybe we'll have some sort of scientific advancements that will allow us to find something Maybe like in the Old Testament, I will just start showing up and you know talking with people <laughs> and stuff. You know who knows? But but the point is, I think soft agnosticism is we don't know, and hard agnosticism is we can't know.
1: Yeah. And Huxley sort of trapeses uh, in there <laughs> in that zone. Uh, he believes in in principle, and and so for for Huxley to. To, to put this out there he's he's essentially saying that that it's wrong to claim certainty for anything for for certainty uh, uh, for the truth of a proposition unless you can provide evidence that justifies it so he's 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 not going the the ultra-hard route, which leads into uh, atheism, is to say there can never be any proof, as you just said. He's he's saying, well, you, you, until you can find proof, it's sort of like Scully in mm. the X-Files. <laughs> uh, you, you're not going to sway me from the principle that nothing
0: proves this. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, logically, what are the benefits to being a hard agnosticist versus a soft agnosticist, right? Because I'm thinking to myself, right, from a philosophical position, logically, why would I exclude the possibility of knowing? You know, it, because, all right, so scientifically, I can sort of, you know, well, even then, right? What is it to, if there is a God, what is to stop him from doing something at any given point that lets us know that he's actually here in an empirical way Mm -hmm. to me i can't it doesn't seem like there's a logical reason to rule such a thing out well that's
1: what i think huxley was essentially getting at is that from his viewpoint as opposed to um, there, were, there were harder versions of this to, 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 to declaim that there's absolutely no possibility uh, because there has been no evidence whatsoever because sacred text is just text. Mm. It's stories. Well, we have stories of everything from Hercules to... You know, so It goes that route. Uh, so, logically, if you, if you do a kind of hard logic... No propositions, uh, no premises can be offered that would lead to proof. So that's why. So you can you can get all mushy, but really, the hard logicians say no. You know, we see we're finding things out all the time. For instance, now with with the James Webb and about the, the age of the universe and so on and. But that's evidentiary material that says, okay, no, we have to revise. Uh, this, this inductive conclusion needs to be revised again. But there's nothing of, of phenomenological data point in that zone. There's nothing that can lead to that. So, But that's a pretty
0: harsh (laughs) Yeah, because you see here, again, remember how, so at the beginning we were talking, I was talking about how an experiment, the exact same experiment, two uh, theoreticians starting at different positions could draw different conclusions from the same data set, right? Right. I think this is a sort of a similar thing, but with logic, right? I 100% agree with you, whereas if you're looking at the issue from um a scientific or you know a a logically inductive point um there's nothing to support it right we have laws of physics that work perfectly well to describe how things happened um and there hasn't been anything that has violated them in the 13.8 billion years that we can observe and when there are violations it usually causes a minor revision not something that completely rewrites the entire books so logically it would seem okay we have a pretty clear picture of what's going on but if you from a different theoretical viewpoint right and there was an interesting article this week um, in one of the philosophy um, journals that i follow online where they said and uh, actually, Sabine Hassenfelder references this mm. in our the book that we read. Yeah. It says, listen, physics. the Big Bang Theory, um, it works. And in the article this week, they were saying, you know, there's all this hubbub everywhere about the James Webb telescope invalidating the Big Bang Theory. It hasn't done that. As a it matter of fact, it's done, it's done the opposite. Yeah. It's it's established that the model works very well. But the model only works, the model doesn't tell you where the universe came from. It just tells you how the universe has progressed since it came into being. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say anything about how it came into being. And by definition, we must take a hard agnostic position on that point of it, right? We cannot know scientifically where it came from. So from, and, but that conclusion from one theoretical perspective would seem to indicate to a certain group of people, right? That because of that, you can't rule out God or anything else from right. from being that. I, I think that the, the, the prime mover, right? What we have talked mover, about, the, before. The, right? Exactly, and, and, I, and I I think that
1: this takes us to the crux of a of, of uh, I'm not, you know, it's, it's not a culture wars thing because everything's been made into a culture war. Sounds like like Marvel Secret Wars, on mm-hmm. and on it goes. I, but there are there is a a space in and I think that many scientists go there um, in which they're not rejecting all of the possibilities, but they are saying that but there is a difference between being open-minded and humble in the face of the universe and what you're learning constantly. or, having to adhere so i think this is where it goes toward a a critique of evangelical uh, biblical literalism having to adhere to the book so carl sagan for instance says who's more humble the scientist who looks at the universe with an open mind and accepts whatever the universe has to teach us which means we say we're wrong or we're wrong again but this one we're right about for now or somebody who says everything in this book must be considered the literal truth, and never mind the fallibility of all the human beings involved in the creation of the book. So I think that that's really the space in which do you do you take everything in a sacred text literally, or do you do you have the openness to say if you claim that this is poetry, and some of it is, um, if you claim that it's history, well. <laughs> Herodotus was writing history too, and it had griffins in it. Uh, you know, it, it, if you if you have a pliant place in which to say, well, not everything is literal, then I think that's where it opens up to the agnostic possibilities.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting sort of scenario, right? Because I we often talk about how usually, if if you look at a, a sliding scale people like to place religion on one end and science on the other end and that's sort of a false dichotomy right? There are scientists who who are religious and whatnot. but mm-hmm. I think that in some ways right um, maybe you replace religion and science with with rationalism and empiricism right or something along those lines agnosticism would seem to be that that center point where you get you get to a spot and you go okay well, I don't know, right? It's it's you you're sort of getting to one place from either end. And I think that that's the interesting part is trying to define where that middle ground is. And I think this soft versus hard agnosticism is 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 a very interesting sort of delineation because I think that it's a sort of a different viewpoint on where the center is, right? If you have somebody you know you have people who are empiricists, or, or more towards a scientific leaning, they're more inclined to to say, you know, okay, this is this is the way things have been. This is the way things are. There's nothing that leads us to believe that something different would take place. Hmm. Ergo, you know, we cannot know. We, Whereas we somebody else know. might might say, okay, well, this is the way things are, um, but what we think we know is always changing. Um. or, you know, so I, we can't know, but maybe we will know, you know. So, it, it's this, takes, interesting this takes us back to,
1: we go back etymologically
0: again. In the ancient
1: world, uh, Gnosis was knowing, but it was knowing that this had the, another topic we've talked about, this had the, the mystical um, focus. So, Gnosis was often applied to and, and arises from uh, esoteric mystical knowledge. Think Doctor Strange, right? And, and again, and 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 not mocking. I'm not. I'm just trying to use things that we we have common at hand in our, our pop culture. Um, things that you can learn from books, but then then are but once learned. Essentially, need to be applied. Well, suppose you learn them, but you don't learn them well enough, you can't apply them. It could be said that that's being agnostic. Agnosis, a being the negative. No, there, there isn't, there isn't a, a a fusion with the gnostic knowledge. Okay, that's that's in the ancient world. But if, if, if what you're just describing so well is when you when you come up into our own time. We have uh, we want we we know things or we have access to knowing. we have knowledge that is available in the form of facts that the uh, facts accrue. All facts don't change mm. but new facts uh, can adjust what was previously known we in my lifetime I mean when I was a tiny little kid generally science was saying that there's one galaxy Yeah, and here I sit you know thinking all of the things that I have access to that, that we have come to know which and it cannot help but change my by thinking about the vastness of the infinitude of the universe and the fascination of it, um, I I don't need religion to complement that or to highlight that. But but I'm not bashing people for whom that complementarity of a a relationship between science and and religion works, as long as there is a complementarity of, of relationship. Where I see things go enormously south is when uh, knowledge is rejected in favor of uh, beliefs that doesn't have a science basis for it, And, and, and that leads us all down a path or can lead us all down a path that is... That's basically wrong for human development.
0: So, yeah, I that's think, me. I'm speaking for myself on this. But, yeah, yeah, I think that that's the important phrase. There is when knowledge is rejected in favor of belief, and I think that that's the part that is interesting to me is because I I believe that that can go either way, right? Mm-hmm. I think, and there's a very I think that the the one case is very clear. I think that everybody's familiar with it, which is religious people who reject scientific knowledge in favor of religious belief Mm -hmm. but i think that it is possible for it to work the other way which is that scientists based off of an empirical body of evidence right um can reject the knowledge which this is hard to say because it's the knowledge that you don't know (laughs) uh, So you you reject the position of agnosticism in the belief that science provides all of the answers. (laughs) So I think that that's a case that that doesn't get highlighted as often and it's abstractly a difficult thing to conceptualize. But it's basically just saying that much like – and it's something we've been talking about throughout the past weeks, right? When we reviewed existential physics, when we talked about mysticism, when we talked Mm -hmm. about these different things Mm – is this way of saying, and it it that's why finding this difficult, this middle position is is hard, is because it's it's not saying that all science is available f- for questioning. It's not saying that science is essentially invalid because things change. Right. But right. at the same time, it's not saying that science is this static, concrete thing um, upon which all of our questions can be answered it's a living dynamic thing. It's a thing that is changing. It's a thing that's evolving, but it is a thing. It is a solid substance. Um, and I think that sometimes, which it's highlighted by my anecdotal experience of not coming across the term agnostic in scientific literature, right? Mm -hmm. Because people who are writing these articles, like I mentioned, they are humans. They do have Theory, theoretical positions and viewpoints, and they want to interpret data in such a way that supports or rejects certain hypotheses rather than, you know, begging a school for funding. Performing a test and then saying, "Well, we don't really know what this is telling us," right? right, right, know, right there's right, right. there's a lot of dynamic factors that are happening that that cause people to to want to avoid the position of saying that they don't know. The dynamic, I think, is the essential part, and it is hard because you get you can you can
1: in all the different ways that, that in, in our particular culture, uh, this this society in which we are immersed, uh, wants to pull toward Oh. Such and such position, and and when you're in that center, it's kind of a Lagrange point. Yeah, yeah, that's a good that's a good okay. illustration. Okay, so so which if if it's an unfamiliar term, it's just that it's that place where you can place a satellite or a space station one hopes and 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 it's not going to it's the gravitational. Equal point between the the sun and and the earth, or another body in, in the earth, and and I think that that's that's where agnosticism for me lies. I've, I'm agnostic. I've been immersed in, a, in an evangelical religious tradition in my life. I've been I've uh, wholly rejected it. I've I've minored in religions. And philosophy, precisely because of that, that that uh, 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 tremulous, um, constant uh, pulling back and forth, and so it's it is possible. I love Grayling's work, but I uh, but I respectfully, it needs a well grow up because <laughs> Grayling often says, is, but I respectfully say that Huxley has. A point and, and, and still does. I don't need there to be a God. If there is, okay, that's interesting. I see no evidence of it. I certainly see no evidence of the things that people who are evangelically inclined um, seem to find. And, and I think that's all because it's all on the interior. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've had evangelical friends say to me, and, and I say this, I mean the word friends. You, know, you, you don't have to not have really meaningful relationships with people because one of you is atheistic, one of you is agnostic, it's like like a three go into the bar and one of you is a Christian or or a Muslim. You know you you can still if you're a grown up and you're fascinated by the universe and you're humble in in realizing there's almost nothing that you know, you can have fascinating relationships. Um but but one that I often find the the, the the bugaboo, and and so we, this friend and I occasionally poke at each other about this is, well, if God wanted, God could stop time entirely, God could reverse time, and I say, well, Doctor Strange can do this. so you know, is, <laughs> is, is, is that because God liked the Doctor Strange movies that was going, and <laughs> you you chew at each other and you go, but well, may, maybe so but there's no evidence of it. And so, well, this is where um, uh, Bertrand Russell was talking at the, at the turn of the 20th century, another major figure who sh- should be read, even though it's all those long days ago. Uh, you, you get into a place, he, he had a, a, a sort of a, a paradigm, a model, not even a model, an example. Uh, if anything is possible, then uh, there could be a, a teacup out there orbiting your planet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because if anything's possible, then of course there's a teacup out there orbiting a planet. Well, maybe there, maybe there is, but we think it probably very much unlikely. But unlikely doesn't mean impossible. So if you say, no, it's, a, it's not possible, it's just going to be a teacup, then you're probably in the atheist camp. If you say, well, really, statistically, not likely...
0: You're still yeah open. Yeah, and that's, you know, you know what makes the whole thing so difficult is quantum mechanics, right? <laughs> because if that never came along, if the whole world could be explained by Newtonian physics, I think that you could take a hard agnostic or atheistic position, right? Because you could say, listen, we can explain everything from beginning to end and everything fits into the theory just fine and there's, there's really nothing that, that, lends any sort of uncertainty to the empirical observations. But uncertainty, that is is agnosticism, is uncertainty. And quantum mechanics, this very well-described, observed, and even not so much explained, but described and observed phenomenon that has a, a very legitimate scientific basis is centered around uncertainty this this inability to know until there's an observation or the inability to know two pieces of information you can only know one or the other and that is the thing that that turns science from this solid concrete foundation into something that's more like the smoke monster from Lost, right? <laughs> it's, it's a solid thing that has a tangible repercussion, but at the same time, it's this nebulous sort of, you know. Well, thanks for bringing it. Up. I haven't thought about Lost for a while. My daughter and I, daughter and I, daughter I love, that, it. I always love it. that show. Uh, Another yeah. show full of philosophers. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the difficult part, right? Is this is is that that's sort of this area that science inhabits is not not this. Um, overarching, um, solid thing that that can answer all questions, um, but something that is most definitely there, most definitely able to describe, explain, um, but at the same time, there's still inherent uncertainty in in the, the the universe that we live in, right? This this brings us to Wittgenstein. We talked about Wittgenstein before. He's one of
1: I've, I'm fascinated by. He, he didn't write that much that was published, but yet he got us to thinking about language and so on. And this is where I think the agnostic um, viewpoint can, can be un- un- understood in, in a slightly different way. He wrote a book in 1969 called Uncertainty and, and says that we don't acquire most of our beliefs about the world by being persuaded out of skepticism about them. We don't carefully weigh the evidence for every belief proposed to us. Uh, rather, our culture teaches us to organize our experience in certain ways by teaching us concepts, rules of use, names, and language, and we acquire what he calls a picture of the world. Um, so you have a, a whole network of propositions that are I- interlinked. And and you only start to have, and they support each other in a narrative. And you only start to have doubt uh, about this, uh, these taken-for-granted beliefs if we encounter something that doesn't fit with the picture. So we like to think of ourselves as logical. We really not. We, we, we generally paint stories, and we accept those stories because everything seems to... We, we, we find things that are in support of those stories, and only when we run
0: into something that can't be accounted for. Yeah, and that's why I'm sure that... <laughs> I don't know how we have any listeners to this podcast because i'll infuriate everybody right in five seconds because (laughs) right because you have on the one hand you have stories like that in the bible right where they're fighting a battle and then the sun stands still in the sky while they while they finish the battle right and you go well if that were to happen um and and all other scientific laws were preserved You'd, you'd have this mass, people would be flying across the space at 6,000 miles an hour. And you know, there'd be all kinds, all kinds of crazy things happening. Right. But on the other hand, you look at it and you go, well, based off of our scientific model, the inflation, right? Inflation presents this big problem for, for the Big Bang Theory and, and our scientific model where they go essentially um, the fine-tuned universe, right? You look at everything that happened in the inflationary epoch between when the Big Bang happened and when the universe, uh, you know, a split second mm-hmm. later, a Planck length later, became what it was, and they go, "Well, did we just make up a number system that fits the observations, or are we actually looking at something that happened?" Right. right? So it's again, it's it's telling a story, right? You we don't have the ability to say. Um, you know, it, it, it's very difficult. It is difficult, Joel,
1: and that that's why it's worthy of us talking. If anybody listens to us, and I'm grateful that some people listen to us, it it, it can't be that we're going. To, we're not here to provide answers. We're here to provide uh, discursive information. And viewpoints that you might not have encountered, and maybe uh, tidbits of, of knowledge that oh, I, I, you know, Planck links, i mean, I'm going to look that up or something. You know, it, it's—I mean, but it, but it's the storytelling that we always do. I'm, I'm going to this is not an advertisement for Marvel, but you, you know who I am. So, if you think about the, the whole story of the Thanos movies and I'm not going to be a spoiler to anybody because this has been years now, right? And it was in the comic books before. That. The beginning of the universe, the Big Bang, and when, these, and when it, the universe explodes into being, these stones are created. <laughs> a stone for reality, a stone for time, a stone for, you know, okay. And you look at that and say, yeah, yeah right. But then you say, well, why not? I mean, let's let's look at the, the creation story itself. There's a whole lot missing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. it's, it's really a broad swath in a few uh, words. <laughs> and so why why should that seem strange? Well, it seems strange because it's out of the general narrative that we often hear, and so it catches our attention. And as Wittgenstein would say, if it catches our attention maybe we start rethinking a narrative and if we start rethinking a narrative then we start asking ourselves questions that might or might not
0: lead toward a belief or
1: toward a skepticism
0: yeah yeah I think that you know and we we mentioned on the show from time to time is that you know we're we're not here to provide answers we're here to provide an, an example right an example mm-hmm. of having philosophical discussions in a way that that looks at all of the information and respects opinions and does these things and then we walk the line very closely sometimes right because I I find myself thinking sometimes I don't want to say something that is going to um, make somebody think that science is just is doesn't exist I don't think and, you've ever said it and I also don't want to say something that would <laughs> that would cause somebody you know that would, Offend somebody's religion, but at the same time, I think that the point is that it should cause you to rethink how you interact with those constructs, science and religion, right? Yes. There's going to be things about religion that are objectively unscientific, but there's going to be things about science that depending on what kind of person you are, you're going to outrightly accept or outrightly reject when you shouldn't do that you should look closer into what how something was done or the theoretical stance that somebody had and if you don't have the tools to do that then you should find institutions that relay that information that are trustworthy right okay. and if that that's that's what philosophy is and if you follow that process what you're going to find is that you are almost necessarily agnostic.
1: <laughs> yeah, and you and you may well be aligned with many different positions, some of which are, are are mutually exclusive, and so you you start to. It's a lifelong process. Philosophy is a lifelong learning process. It's what Socrates was teaching us. It's what it's, it's what Sabine Hassenfelder teaches us it's it's what forenia gosetti was teaching us it's it's, it's still it's, it's not about being mushy and oh well this is true and that's true and everything's true it's not, it's not about this this ridiculous relativism and it's, and it's not about uh, saying well we don't know anything well because we know a few things uh, and and, and I, I I think that we tr- try not to to be offensive as a first principle but I'm not particularly worried about offending if (laughs) if by offending one
0: has said something that makes people back off and and think yeah no 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 I don't think that it's offending people so much that I'm worried about as as reinforcing or or establishing beliefs right and I would hope that anybody listening to the show um, is enough of an independent thinker that they can yeah, think absolutely. about these things for themselves rather than hearing what you and I are saying and taking our position for, you know, at face value, right? right? But, so this raises, so we're looking at, at growling and Dawkins, right? These guys that are saying that, essentially, that agnosticism is a weak position and that Im- atheism should just be embraced. Hmm. So, is agnosticism merely a position based on probabilities, right? Basically saying that, you know, I'm not going to put a number on it, but there's a percent chance that there's a god or there isn't a god and I'm, I'm on here somewhere. Uh, that's, that's, uh, I guess. I, I guess if if one looks
1: at it from, from Pascal or, or the, the implication is there. Um, I think when I was a kid, I, I first encountered Blaise Pascal, and I thought, oh, hmm. <laughs> this, this makes, all right. <laughs> but that's also based, uh, all, but also tips toward the scales of things that I think, personally, as one person, we ought to know better. by. If, if if your religion, if you're religious, if you're theistic, uh, if your beliefs are located in a place of fear and reward, I... The, have have at it. Go have a good life. I can't. I can't abide or embrace that. I, it, it's okay. I don't. I don't hate you for it. <laughs> I, I want you to live and have the kind of life that you that you want to have. But it makes no sense to me. Um, so so not strictly not a gambling sense of numbers and statistics. But yeah, I, I think that um, here, here's here's Grayling on this. I think this will be helpful since we're talking about numbers. Okay. Grayling says, the initial probability of there being a deity is not 50%, as some try to argue. There is a hidden assumption of agnosticism, which premises the thought that there is insufficient evidence to settle the matter either way. One can see this by asking what initial probability should be attached to the existence of, say, dryads or unicorns or anything whose presence in myth, fable, legend or religion derives from what our remote ancestors handed down and stories from their world. Whatever probability is, if it is not zero, then it is vanishing close to zero, and though it indeed seem odd even to say the probability that unicorns exist is vanishingly small, the mistake made by many is to think that because a particular tradition has been institutionalized in society, it increases the probability that the things it talks about actually exist. So if you say agnosticism has that vanishingly small possibility, I think a I it's, 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 clearly he Haven has to acknowledge that, but if you take it as well, that vanishingly small probability possibility leads to a, a higher and higher percentage somehow because of institutions, then you're not doing the math.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. We're back to Russell's teapot, right? Yeah. <laughs> which is this idea that, <laughs> or, or 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 the Infinity Stones. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So. Yeah, it gets real interesting because, again, some of these these hard agnostic or atheistic positions, you know, essentially, um, a lot of these guys are, the atheists are arguing, listen, like, if you're just going to take a soft agnostic position, but you're going to say that there's a 1% chance, so I, I can't say, just come over to our side. What are, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, just, you know, but on the other hand, right, so, and this is, Again, the easiest place to do it is metaphysics, right? To go back and look at at the origins of the universe Mm. and talk about how in in conceptualizing frameworks for how the Big Bang comes about, especially in quantum mechanics, um, there's this idea that if you give an infinitely long amount of time, you will have an infinitely large amount of things that can happen. So there are some positions that say, well, technically a teapot could pop into existence around in orbit around a planet the same way that a universe could pop into existence based off of the interaction yeah, of different yeah. brains and waves in, in the pre-universe. So again, we're, we're back to that, that story, right? This idea of, oh, okay, well, it's real easy to pick on religion because there's so many things that just don't add up. But at the same time, there are things not about science, but about pre-scientific, aka philosophical, theoretical positions that are held by people at the top of science. And the question I think there is, well, should we, should we believe these people, right? These people are undoubtedly very knowledgeable. They're at the top of their field. So if Stephen Hawking tells me God is dead, God doesn't exist. Does he have more insight into the issue than I do based off of his knowledge of physics? Or really, is he just as in the dark as I am because there's no way, there's hard agnostic, we're in a necessarily hard agnostic position about what happened before the universe or where the universe came from, right? It's just... (laughs) It's really difficult. So this idea yes. that agnosticism is, is a position based on, on probabilities. Um, yeah, I, I think that, well, if you put a percent chance on it, maybe that's going to determine whether or not you're a hard or soft agnostic.
1: And, and vanishingly small is still possible. So, so it, it, it's not like, I, I think this is where... For, for me, the, one of the things I wanted to say today is I think that uh, if, we, if, if people hear this conversation and maybe think, you know, it's, it takes some, some people would say it takes some effort to be a good person within any religious system. Well, that implies a dynamic um, involvement that um, is, isn't just static and accepting. But it also takes some reasonable intellectual effort to say, I'm in this Lagrange point. I've propelled myself or been propelled by gravitational forces of various kinds to be here. I'm not going over there right now because it doesn't make any sense to me but it certainly doesn't make any sense to me to be over here either but I got a fine view of the universe
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no I think dangling here in space (laughs) I think that there's a reason that people have a hard time saying I don't know like I talked about in the intro especially when it's in regards it doesn't surprise me that the term agnosticism has become subsumed into religious talk as opposed to being used universally um, because I think that that's the hardest place to be agnostic, right? Because I think that it's easy to go along with stories that you're being told on one side or the other. But I think that to say that you don't know about an issue that big is, is – it, sh- it should be necessarily – a little frightening, right? To say that you don't, you don't know. Right? <laughs> Carl Sagan was dying of
1: cancer, and and he and, and, and one of the things he wrote is the world is so exquisite with so much love and moral depth that there is no reason to deceive ourselves with pretty stories for which there's little good evidence. Notice he said a little. Uh, far better it seems to me in our vulnerability is to look death in the eye and to be grateful every day for the brief but magnificent opportunity that life provides there's sort of a homily in that hmm. in that we don't know if anything happens next and if it does wow adventure not if it does well well was i good and therefore i get to be an eternal joy or bad, and, and I'm punished for the rest of time for for a few years of life. I, I don't. That's that's where I, I think for people like Sagan and and, and uh, who write, who are scientists, who were scientists who are writing for lay people, who were saying, you know, let's not miss everything that's in front of us. Let's take what's everything that's in front of us, and then figure out what we make with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, my class, one of the, the things that we looked at was, um, Peter Fenwick's work on near death experiences, mm-hmm. right? Which, um, here was a guy who, um, was a very well-regarded, um, neuropsychologist and, and, you know, a neurologist who decided to look into near death experiences, which at the time was not great for your career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was kind of frowned upon. And he did a lot of studies um, looking at these cases and then and came up with um sort of a framework of how they take place and um came to some interesting conclusions if you want to look them up on your own peter peter fenwick is his name but yeah this uh, i don't think that i don't think that accepting one position or the other right saying that okay well there's there's nothing out there and i'm just going to die and that's it or you know well god created me i'm going to heaven or hell i don't think that having either one of those positions is necessary to live a meaningful life yeah which is something that we've talked about in the past yeah. this very idea of having a meaningful life and yeah. you know where meaning comes from um but yeah it's very interesting um do you want to do you want to talk about what separates agnosticism from agnosticism <laughs> Sure, let's go there. You start. <laughs> so th- I thought this was kind of interesting because this is I got my notes. I'm going to take it. Out. Yeah, this is a position. So we've talked about agnosticism so far, which sort of says that um there's these established positions around and you're saying that you you don't know, so you're not going to you're not going to commit to one of these positions. Agnosticism um uh, is this idea that um, you have to put forward a coherent um, conception of what your worldview is before a a position can be taken? So, if if you were to tell me this this story, whether it's religious or you know rational or whatever it is, if I'm able to poke holes in it. Then there's really no point in me giving any credence to it, right? Right. Agnosticism is is
1: it's a lovely, it's a fun word. It's just a fun, it's, what you hear your brain crank, and it, it's to say it's it's meaningless to talk about God because conceptually there is no unambiguous definition hmm. that 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 contributes to any. Coherent conversation. Uh, so, so if you let's see, what's a uh, uh, theological institutions argue with each other about God, and and some try to the the, the Catholic, the Christian, Muslim, Allah, okay. Different names are they all the same being, or if they're not the same being, what's going on? And if they are the same being, what well, what what is? Well, we can't define God because God is everything, or God is love, or or God is omnipotence, or God is the sum totality of all things. And okay, and what does that mean? Right. You know, that's what agnosticism
0: asks. Yeah, yeah, which is which is really interesting because you see, even the major religions take different positions on that, right? Like, if, from a Christian religion viewpoint, um, you know, uh, Muslims are essentially bad. Islam is bad, right? But in the Islamic religion, there's still elements of the Christian story that work their way well, into the it. Jesus is a prophet. three religions so. right. work to get, come from the same source. Right. Right, so, th-
1: they better acknowledge some. <laughs> but, but, but necessarily but don't necessarily always do that and so if i mean and, and i and this, i think it's a good it's a good party game but but much more seriously it's a it's a good discursive topic tell somebody to define god ask somebody to define god
0: yeah the, the illusion the illusion of explanatory depth works with this too. yes <laughs> yes exactly because there are things and there's been philosophers that have looked at this in the past and have said okay well if you're saying that that God is everywhere, right? Well, that's that's impossible. Like that doesn't that doesn't add up, you know. And if so, what does that mean? The, 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 is God watching
1: everything? God not doing anything? Is God manipulating things? Is God a manipulator? Is God i all oh, just do this? Does God send cyclones to punish cities, as some politicians want to say? I don't think so. It makes no sense, you know. And and or or God is both male and female. Whoa, you can believe that, but you can still assert things uh, about human beings' conditions and whether your condition is better than somebody else's. How dare you? It's, you know, j- just the definition can ignite thought. <laughs> Doesn't have to ignite violence, but can ignite some pretty hum- humbling thought about why are we doing the things we do
0: if you really believe this. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is, it, it's kind of a cool... um it's a cool thought experiment, right? Because if you if you take the concept of God just for granted, right? Because think about that: how many religious texts go into fine detail about the definition of deity? Mm-hmm. Not many do. It's usually just, "Hey, God was here at the beginning, and He did this stuff." Unless well, you go into the Gnostic texts, <laughs> right? So definition by attribution is not necessarily accurate right if mm-hmm. if i if you know if you know me just based off of all the things that i've done but you don't actually know anything about me that's not that's a very incomplete form of knowledge so yeah this this idea ignosticism right this looking at it and saying okay well if we can't even conceptualize what this thing is, then what's the point of talking about it? It's kind of...
1: And this is where it bridges those agnosticism because Huxley and folks were, were talking about well, okay, then you can't really talk about having a personal relationship with a being who is everywhere and all. How do you have a personal relationship with something that is not a person? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 that's not mocking again. It's just a rational question. Um, and,
0: and, and and but it needs to be addressed. Yeah yeah, so there's there's a, a whole lot of topics surrounding agnosticism that are that are really cool. Um, and of course, agnosticism is one of them and um, there's uh, probabilisticism, I think, and there's a whole bunch of them that are that are kind of interesting positions, but um, let's wrap it up by, by asking is is true agnosticism? Mystical.
1: I'm not going to to, 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 to the very fact of calling it true. (laughs) I'm not I'm not falling for that. You can lead me right up to that minefield. (laughs) I know I I think I know what you
0: intend, but what do you mean by true? I think the true agnosticism (laughs) is as simple as saying, I don't know and meaning it.
1: Yes. Well, I think that's accurate. Agnosticism. <laughs> Truth implies a, a knowledge in itself that I don't know that we have but to say yeah basically
0: saying I don't know that's accurate. <laughs> so do you think that do you think that if if you really don't know do you think that that is um do you think that can be a mystical experience? based off of our conversation that we had in prior weeks. Yeah. Yeah, I I do. I think this is what poetry is about. I think so too. I think, and I think that it's almost, I think it's easier. I think it's almost more mystical to, if you don't know, it's, it's proposed the other way in a lot of cases, especially Gnosticism, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Gnosticism is sort of predicated on this idea of the mystical experience because of a relationship with a with a religious or, or, a, or a deity of some kind. But it almost seems like, regardless of what end you're on, whether it's religious or scientific, if you have a narrative in place, if you have a story in place, it seems to me like it would be much more difficult to have an experience that you could identify as mystical.
1: For me, agnosticism is... <clears throat> There's a lovely word. It's a word that I very much enjoy. It's The word is liminal. Liminal means living at the boundary or the edge of, or on both sides of the boundary of of something that may be close to mystical for a moment, which is why I say poetry, because we have intuitive... Recognitions in poetry or art, uh, all kinds of singing, whatever music that we can't necessarily always vocalize. There's that liminal place, Um, and there's a word that I also enjoy. Call uh, it's numinous, but numinous uh, is uh, an adjective. A numinous experience would be having a what one would think was a strongly spiritual experience that pointed toward a deity. The liminal is not theistically based. The numinous is. And for me, the agnostic position is more liminal.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, because I, I think that brings us back to this idea of where is the center point, right? Which is why you laughed at the idea of of true agnosticism, right? <laughs> yeah, because, okay. <laughs> because saying true implies knowledge but i think that implying that you know where the middle point of agnosticism is is very difficult is it is the center in soft agnosticism is the center in hard agnosticism is is the is true agnosticism liminal or is it numinous being open to the idea that it, it's funny because i just you had these experiences where i think i don't know that everybody does i'm but I, I know that I do. And I would like to think that everybody does. Mm-hmm. Where yesterday, right? I'm taking a walk in, in the snow. There's nobody around. It's very quiet. The snow's dampening everything. And you just go, you know, like, where did all this come from? Like, is everything just just show up out of nowhere? Or am I part of an alien simulation? <laughs> 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 and that's liminal and numinous, right? <laughs> this is the idea that, well, I can't. I don't know either way I'm agnostic about the knowledge of it but how am I interpreting the experience that I'm having this this l- subliminal or liminal experience of of being overwhelmed by the vastness and the the complete just you know
1: that's the sublimes that we've talked about before being overwhelmed with the vastness being moved
0: by the extreme beauty or terror or <laughs> but but being moved. And that might be the difference, right? Between a liminal and a numinous experience is the the beauty or the awe versus the terror. You know, it might be in there somewhere, depending on it, it, what your it, views it, are. It, it might be. I,
1: I, I can't imagine any sane human being not being in utter terror of of, of encountering something that is a, an omniscient, omnipresent being yeah uh, that that doesn't that doesn't imply a, an endorsement of oh well <laughs> so we better be good because santa claus is watching it's 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 that that otherness capital o is very present in that but but also but there so is a sublime liminal into sublime or liminal into numinous which goes different directions sometimes the same direction um of seeing something so big that you know that it could instantly er er eradicate. When people would describe on voyages when they're first going north and describe the mountains of ice, um, which take nothing at all to just crack a ship and leave it, you know, that's a sublime experience. Mm. Which is why the capital R romantic time period of the, of the creation of the Frankenstein story, the, all, all of that comes out of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I, it takes us to all kinds of cool places, right? This idea of, of agnosticism. Part of the thing I wanted to talk about the probabilities was just what you mentioned, right? We, we talked about Russell's teapot. We also, um, one thing the atheists say is, well, if you're going to say there's, the smallest chance God might exist, so I can't say that he doesn't. Um, we well, might as well say the same thing about Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that that's a little bit disingenuous, right? Because you could, <laughs> scientifically, you can say, okay, well, y- you could perform experiments. You could perform observations and say, okay, well, we see parents putting money on our kids' pillows and taking teeth. But we can't observe whether there's a teapot orbiting a planet because it's too far away. So can we apply the same principles to this, to the other? Despite the fact that the observation and that the the explanation of the phenomena isn't there, yeah, I think it's more that we
1: tell the stories that we think yeah children need to have to make life somehow richer or somehow more meaningful. Or we we put this is what Sagan was talking about. Why do we tell stories about little green men and 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 flying saucers? Which he always said, if anybody ever showed him, it, it, he thought it was probable that there was life in other places, but it hasn't been here because you can't show evidence that it's been here. Uh, but he would be convinced, well, why Why do we work so hard to put the idea of, of, of mystical, uh, magical, the sublime, esoteric, Gnostic something into a child's life? Unless we think that it's important that we have that and, and so why can't we look up at the sky with a child and not make up any stories about anything and just say feel that yeah but instead we go around all these other things because otherwise life is just too
0: terrible without all the stories and that takes us back to Wittgenstein again yeah yeah um, and this has me revved up about storytelling I want to do another episode I think that we did one, one uh, we can go back to it yeah we should alright until next time keep pondering.